here respected. Expert level information, entertainment, education. Rev here, we got you covered as you hit your destination. Climate rules everything around me. Dream. For those who lost focus, close your eyes and just dream. Open your third eye, now the world is your office. Coolest, coolest show you know is the Hip Hop Caucus. Well, I'm very excited about this conversation here. This is a dear brother, and he has done some amazing work with black farmers. Um, my brother, John, John Boyd, how are you? I'm doing good. Uh, thank you for having me. And it's glad that, uh, you know, it's always good to be connected with you. And, and I'd like to thank you for your years of advocacy and, and trying to make some things happen on the Hill and, and the political end of things. So, uh, so thank well, you for what you do. I appreciate that. I, I got to start with this. Folks can't see you. I can see you, but that that cowboy had to say something there, Doc. That's what that's what I'm talking about. That cowboy had is nice. Yeah. Uh, I, I wouldn't be home without the hat, you know. I know, and it's black too. So I, so I got to give me a black one. Yes, <laughs> yes. I'm, I wear a black hat and black shirt. And I, I don't care if it's hot. Doesn't bother me, you know. I love black it. On. I know that. Listen, come on now. <laughs> Listen, for those who don't know you and your work, please tell us, who is John Boyd? Well, basically, uh, I've been, uh, I'm a fourth-generation farmer from uh, Mecklenburg County, Virginia, which is right on the Virginia-North Carolina borderline. Hmm. Uh, So uh, I have a long, rich history of uh, farming in my family. Uh, My father was a, a farmer. My grandfather, Thomas Boyd, was a farmer. His father was a, a farmer, Andrew Board, and his father was a farmer, Alexander Board, all coming from the uh, Board Plantation, uh, where I'm speaking to you at in, in Boardton, Virginia. So it's a lot of history here. And uh, I've been trained uh, from my father and grandfather as a uh, first a tobacco farmer and cotton farmer and peanut farmer. And then I went on to become a grain farmer and a beef cattle farmer. And uh, I've been farming since uh, 1983, a very, very long time, uh, when I bought my first farm from another mm-hmm. black farmer, who uh, that's how I got introduced to the government. But we get into that. And uh, in the 80s, uh, uh, we formed the National Black Farmers Association, myself and uh, five other original board members uh, to help eradicate discrimination against black farmers. And uh, we thought it would be a local thing. And, and uh, quickly, as we began to advocate and file lawsuits, uh, we, we heard from everybody, especially uh, those black farmers in the deep south. We had just more egregious stories than we did with USDA. And mm. uh, we started out with five people. And, and today we have uh, uh, about 100, 120,000 people in, in 46 states uh, around the country. Tell us about the National Black Farmers Association. What does it do, and why do we need it? Well, you need it today more so than ever. And mm-hmm. uh, the measure, uh, I'm going to fast forward to today, a uh, very present issue is the uh, $5 billion debt relief uh, measure that was included in the COVID relief uh, uh, bill uh, Biden that the sponsored. And uh, we tried for 30 years to get this measure passed in Congress, and it finally passed that provided debt relief and technical assistance and other things to, to, to black farmers. And uh, 
since we were able to get that done with uh, Senator Booker and Senator Warnock uh, sponsoring it in the Ag- Agriculture Committee in the Senate, and, uh, uh, David Scott in the House, uh, on the Agriculture Committee sponsored it there. Uh, we were lucky enough to get it included. And since that time, uh, banks came out and uh, spoke against the measure, saying it would be harmful for them if the payments went to black farmers for debt relief. Hmm. And now we have white farmers suing us in federal court to block the payments to black and other farmers of color. Uh, So we need the National Black Farmers Association more than ever. And we need for black America and those uh, like-minded to to support us. Uh, Right now, we're having to respond to uh, nine different lawsuits in nine different states, which means people don't understand the legal system. You need nine different law firms that have license to practice law in those separate states uh, to respond. And uh, thank God, as I'm speaking to you, we, we haven't missed a deadline so far. Hmm. But uh, we need support. And, uh, and like, like I said, right now, the National Black Farmers Association is really needed more so uh, uh, than ever. And uh, Reverend Yearwood, at the, at the turn of the century, uh, there were one million uh, black farm families in this country. Uh, tilling 20 million acres of land, mm. uh, representing we were representing black farmers. We're 14 percent of the nation's farmers. Uh, today we're less than one percent, uh, and uh, 50,000 uh, full-time black farmers that make a living uh, of farming. And then there's a host of part-time farmers and and black land owners uh, that are not currently farming but still own some land. Uh, but the bottom line is we've lost uh, a lot of land. We're down to about uh, uh, three and a half million acres uh, around the country. And uh, for those who are going to be watching your show, I would like to uh, encourage especially black people and black men, and I said it, black men, M-E-N, to go out and buy some land because God don't make no more land. He, he makes new Cadillacs and Mercedes-Benz and and, and pick up trucks, they, they come off the line as fast as you can buy them. But God doesn't make any more land. And if we can afford that Cadillac and Mercedes-Benz, we can afford five acres in mm. the country. So I want to encourage my people, uh, don't wait on the government, don't wait on Congress, uh, don't wait on the banks and all of these other things. If you're able to do that, then you'll be able to buy some land. And, and the way to build wealth in this country is through land ownership first, and then the ability to feed your people second. And when you lose both of them, you, you're heading back towards slavery, which is where black people are heading right now uh, because we don't own the land and, and we don't uh, participate in the food production system from A to Z. That means growing it from seed to mouth and, and participating in that food chain. Uh, so that I, I wanted to lay that piece in there. Uh, but uh, that's why we really need the National Black Farmers Association and we're trying to uh, get young people, uh, especially young blacks, uh, back into farming and agribusiness. Agribusiness is a biggie too. That's uh, when I say agribusiness, that's that's Monsanto and and, and Carkill and all of the food companies. That's Burger King and McDonald's and Kentucky Fried Chicken and all these places that we support every single day, but we're not participating in, in the ownership part of that food chain. Uh, so that's agribusiness. And we need blacks there. And we also need blacks in uh, growing the food. Uh, more people like myself out there 
who want to farm and farming our revenue, what is the hardest occupation known to man. It never, the work never stops. It's not like construction where you finish the building and you get a break and uh, you wait till the next call to build the next building or the next house. Farming is 24-7, seven days a week. And uh, in fact, when I finish your interview on one more today, I'm going back on my farm and I'm going to get back in the tractor and, and, and try to make it happen some more. Uh, but wow. where I was going with that is farming is an art and a skill set and you have to want to do it. Uh, so as my daddy said, as a, as a little boy, John, I can teach you how to farm, but I can't teach you want to. Hmm. Uh, so we have to want to do these things. And that's something uh, I want to encourage our, our people to do. Don't. Don't be afraid of hard work. Uh, hard work won't, won't do anything, but keep you out of a little bit of mischief. Uh, don't be afraid of it. Uh, take it on. And if I can do it, uh, you can do it too. Yeah, no. Well, Brother John, you have said so much right there that I need to, I need to slowly unpack. Uh, and I'm going to get to, I'm going to tell you, I'm going I'm to come back to the, the COVID settlement and that money uh, because I think that's, that's, kind of the news of the day. And I want to, we, we, we need to talk about that. But you said so much about this, our, our history um, of where we were as black farmers and, and that aspect. And I want to get to that. And also the importance of uh, owning land um, and being able to feed yourself. So let me start with the basics. I think a lot of folks are going to listen to this. You know, we have uh, an amazing audience um, that may not know what it means to be a black farmer. This, and you said it's hard work, but what does your average black farmer look like now? Like age, is it urban rural? Like where they located? You know, I, I know you, you you on the farm, and and, and I want to come out there one day and hang with you. And I, I, I listen, I, I can do hard work, but I don't know if I can still do that kind of hard work. <laughs> we, we can see. But uh, I just want to know, what is a day in the life? of a black farmer look like what what would you say farming and agriculture is kind of ancestral for black people well the first thing uh, i would like to describe was uh what we look like on a national scale we're in the virginia uh, delmarva area all the way uh, around through the southern southeastern corridor of the united states the two largest states for population for black farmers is mississippi and alabama uh, and then Texas, uh, uh, Mississippi and Alabama have about, uh, according to our numbers, uh, 20,000 in each uh, state. Uh, then there's about 14,000 in uh, the state of Texas. Uh, and then through the Midwestern states, the numbers get smaller. And then there's about uh, uh, 3,000 uh, black farmers in the state of California. And then we're around Missouri and Oklahoma. There's, there's a concentration there as well. That's the national makeup. And it matches uh, what I was touching on earlier, which is the footprint of slavery, the, mm. uh, being enslaved on American soil, uh, is where you're going to find uh, black farmers and how we uh, accumulated land in the first place. Many people don't understand that black people accumulated land after the Civil War, uh, when uh, the, the uh, North and the South were fighting over the particular currency they were going to spend. Abraham Lincoln gave uh, uh, Southern states a, a, a certain time period to exchange that money. And whites in the South who didn't want us to come to Lincoln said, no, I'm keeping 
I'm keeping my southern currency. I'm not trading it in for a northern currency. They lost a lot of money, and blacks were able to buy land uh, and stay on those plantations. Uh, and that's how my my forefathers were able to get uh, land in that in that same particular pattern. So I wanted to tell the history on how blacks got land in the first place mm-hmm. uh, after the Civil War when the money didn't spend and uh, so, you know states didn't want us to come to to Lincoln. That's how we got the land. And that's how uh, we, we we were able to to lose it in that in that same in that same pattern and footprint around the southeastern corridor. Uh, but my day looks like uh, an average day for a black farmer. Uh, I get up every day about five a.m. Mm. and the first thing I do is I look at the weather. And uh, you're gonna laugh at this. Uh, me and Ben Crump was hanging out, and I looked up. I said, "Man, we need some rain." And he looked at me and he said, man, you're the first brother I ever heard say we need some rain. I, I heard we need some sunshine, but I get up every morning and I look. Mm. Uh, first thing I do is look at the weather and then I start Then I start my day. Uh, I check on my cattle and, and crops and I figure out what needs to be done throughout the course of the day. And, and that happens all, all day long. And I generally wrap my day up uh, at peace times a year like this around eight o'clock at night. So that's when I finish. And so you go from 5 a.m. to yeah. 8 p.m. Yes. And uh, I have uh, 1,400, oh, oh, oh. Acres, yeah, 1,400 acres on different tracts of land mm. in the same county uh, that I live in. Uh, so I've been uh, uh, busy building some land wealth. And the same thing I'm, I'm preaching to, to you and, the, and our people, I've been trying to lead by example. So I've been buying a little bit of land Mm-hmm. Uh, my whole 38-year uh, career. And I've lost some land, too, through the hands of USDA. So I know what it feels like uh, to lose land. And I also feel, I know what it feels like to, to own it. And it's a great feeling to own, uh, you know, your own farm. The average age of a black farmer is 61 years of age. Uh, so we're an uh, aging population, and we desperately need more young people. And uh, the National Black Farmers Association has a scholarship program, and we have for years uh, trying to get more young people uh, to major in agriculture and farming and then learn the skill set and go back to uh, uh, the uh, forefather, parents farm or a farming operation or pair them up with an older black farmer where they could learn the skill set of actually doing farming. Uh, And we have uh, uh, today uh, a $4 million uh, scholarship. Uh, and it's out of uh, it's at Nebraska of all places, but sometimes you got to do what you got to do, yeah. and and we need to see how they do it in these farming states too. Mm-hmm. Uh, so um, uh, I would like to add to uh, don't don't think of farming in a bad aspect because we were slaves on American soil and we were sharecroppers on American soil. And we experienced farming in the roughest time period, Jim Crow laws. Uh, that had a, they said we were separate but equal, but we couldn't go through the doors to buy fertilizer. We had to wait in the back and uh, all of these type of uh, things and sell our crops uh, under a white farmer's hat, all of this stuff. And we survived all of those things. And now we have should have the ability uh, to go out and own some land and, and farm on our own. I want to encourage more young people uh, not to shy away or think of agriculture and farming in a negative light, but look at it in a positive light that uh, my grandfather said the one thing closer to freedom is land ownership. 
Uh, you could either own your own and step on your own, and every step you take, every step you make requires land ownership, or you could be taking a step and trespass on someone else's. Uh, so these are things that we have to uh, think about. And he also taught me that everything good and great comes from the land, mm-hmm. uh, water uh, from the well and creeks and rivers, timber to build houses uh, comes from your farm and land, and everything that we wear and eat comes from the comes from the the land, including the cotton and stuff that in my clothes and all of these things. Uh, so we need to look at the farm in, in a positive light. Let's talk about that stat you mentioned earlier. And you talked about at the turn of the century, over one million was was farming. And now I think you mentioned fifty thousand or so where we are now. Um that's a I mean that's a heck of a decrease. Um, well we're so, facing extension. We're facing extinction. And that's why I've been beating the pavement and, and stuff with Congress on these different bills over the past 30 years. But what eats at me day in and day out and what drives me to keep going is Congress can put laws in place to help when they're facing extinction, the rockfish, mm-hmm. snail dog, the, the bald eagle, the black bear, the brown bear. And they'll put laws in place to protect them until their numbers come back but they won't do it for the oldest occupation in history for black people, hmm. which is farming. That's very troubling for me. Not that I don't like the brown bear and the black bear and, and animals. I love animals. I got hmm. them on my farm. I have them on my farm. What I'm clearly saying is we can do better uh, to treat people that, that, that are, are made cotton king and, and, and tobacco gold, you know? Uh, we can do better to a group of people that made America what it is, uh, and which is black people in this country. And, and instead, uh, we continue to get dogged and dogged and stepped on. And, and uh, we're fighting back. And, and, and people need to understand we're going to fight back. What, what was the role in this demise and this extinction of the USDA and its programs? You know, you know, how, and how do private companies kind of factor into the loss of black farmers? Over, over these generations? Well, I think what a lot of people don't understand because uh, when I give these talks around the country, they say, why, you know, just do away uh, and don't do any business with the USDA. You can't. They regulate every program in this country. The wheat program, the corn program, the soybean program, the beef cattle program. Everything is regulated by the United States Department of Agriculture. If you want to participate in any of those programs, and if you don't, you could be fined. If you want to, uh, there's a, you, you have to have a, a farm and home plan. You have to report your acreage to the United States Department of Agriculture. It's going to be very hard for any farmer to get around USDA, which, which is why they have been so detrimental in uh, putting us out of business. Mm. Uh, and they stole land from Blacks. Uh, by using uh, two programs in this country over the past 30 years. Definitely explain that. I, I think people need to hear that history. Yeah, right there. and I want to take it slow here. Yeah. Uh, if you, uh, every farmer, uh, unless you got uh, a checking account as, as long as some of these big boys out here, you need what's called a farm operating loan every year. That's to plant and harvest 
and you pay it, you you get it in, in, in the spring and you pay it off in the fall and you roll into next year. It's not rocket science. So you borrow money to plant and harvest and then what's left is yours and you pay your operating loan off and you roll into next year. USDA was the lender of last resorts and, and uh, many uh, black black farmers were supposed to be getting money, especially after the Carter administration acknowledged uh, black land laws and put farm operating loans uh, in place at USDA. For small-scale farmers, they didn't use the word black, but uh, Jimmy Carter understood that there was a problem with that, so he he made it an initiative on his administration. Mm. So black started to uh, gradually get back into USDA, uh, which in the 60s, uh, they had black extension agents in the 50s, and, and they'd done away with that. And my father said that that was the downfall of the black farmer in this country when they'd done away with the black extension agents because well, they spoke our language, they understood our culture, and they understood our farming the way that we did. And when they took that away, we were fully integrated into a system that didn't want us uh, mm. in the first place. So we began to get uh, some blacks got some operating loans, some blacks received some farm ownership loans. But then we started to face all this discrimination. And, I, and at the top of your show, I mentioned I bought my first farm from a black farmer. His name was Russell Sally. And he said, uh, he said, boy, you going to work? That's what he asked me. I said, yes, sir, I'm going to work the farm. He said, well, I want you to have the farm. So he said, where are you going to get money from? I said, I don't know. Where where are you getting money from? (laughs) He said, well, I'm supposed to be getting money from the Farmers Home Administration. They're supposed to be helping black folks, black farmers get money. He said, but good luck with them folks up there. They don't like they don't like black people. He said, but I carry you up there. I'm speaking in the same dialect in which he was talking to me. Mm-hmm. And he did. And uh, and I walked into the office, uh, Reverend Yearwood, and, and I'm an 80s kid at that time, an 80s young man. And it felt like I was walking back in time. That's what it felt like when I walked in. The guy was full Western hard Western attire and uh, chewing tobacco and, and uh, talking down to us, towards mm-hmm. us. Long story short, uh, it took a year for, for me to get the loan from the Farmers Home Administration, and I merely assumed his debt. And it was uh, the beginning of a, a tumbleweed coming downhill for me uh, because when I grew up, uh, uh, I, played, I was a three-letter man in high school. I played basketball football and baseball and, and some of the, the brothers I was playing with were white. Mm. One of my best friends uh, was a white guy by the name of Jerry Jordan. So I thought we were far past some of the stuff I was running, getting ready to run into at USDA. He would only see, he was the county supervisor who lent, made loans to uh, our farmers in this particular county. I live in Mecklenburg, County, Virginia. He would only see us on Wednesday. Uh, and we would all be lined up in the hallway, and I was a young man, and the other f- black farmers in the in the hallway were senior statesmen to me. Uh, some were even local, elected local officials. Some were deacons and ministers that I can recall. And he would have the door open, speaking loudly, downward, and boastfully to these elderly senior uh, uh, black men. And uh, he will refer to you as colored, mm. uh, uh, boy, all kind of stuff. And uh, 
And I just wasn't a 60s kid, uh, uh, young man. So I was, I already told you what time period I'm from. I'm from the 80s. And I wasn't, I wasn't saying yes, sir, and no, sir. And uh, one year he tore my application up and, and tossed it in the trash can. And uh, he called me uh, some other racial epithets that probably ain't suitable for your show. Mm. And, uh, and I, I wanted to take him to what we call in the country to the woodshed. But I knew if I did that, I'm going to the federal uh, mm-hmm. penitentiary. And he said uh, he wasn't going to lend me any of his money, his money, H-I-S. And if I didn't learn how to talk to him, I wasn't going to get a loan from USDA. I wasn't going to get a loan from the banks because he said he controlled the local banks uh, in my area. And listen to this. He said he was the next thing to God in this county. He lent so much money uh, that he was the next thing to God. And I didn't know God the way I knew him now. And Reverend Yu, well, this is what I said back to him. I said, I don't know what God looked like, but he don't look nothing like you. I said, he can't look like you. I can't act like you. And, uh, and we, and we uh, had some, some really uh, harsh words. Hmm. And uh, when they came out to investigate him years later, after I started suing the government, uh, this man spat on me. Uh, if you 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 up north, you say spit, and if you're in the country, you say spat. He spit, spat on me, and and uh, and it was tobacco juice running down my shirt. Hmm. And for that split second, I felt less than a man for a hmm. few minutes hmm. because I felt like it, there was nothing I could do to him right then after he spat on me. So when they asked him, "Well, did you spit on John Boyd?" During the investigation at the Civil Rights Office, he said, well, yes, and I accidentally missed my spat can. I didn't mean spit on the boy, spat on the boy. Uh, they said, uh, did you tear his application up and toss it in the trash can? He said, well, yes, and I ain't have any more money. And I, I told him I didn't care if he didn't come back next year. Out. She said, well, you only see black farmers on Wednesday. Do you have a problem making loans to black farmers? He said, well, yes, and uh, I think they're lazy and look for a paycheck on Friday, but it ain't got nothing to do with me doing my job. I can do my job. I'm laying this out for you because right now, as I'm sitting here talking to you, white farmers say, I don't know what discrimination these black farmers are talking about. What discrimination? That's the discrimination that we have endured, that we have experienced that I experienced firsthand and that many other black farmers experienced even at a more egregious level. I had $2,500 left from a farm operating loan. Black farmers had supervised bank accounts. That means that same person had to sign the checks of when I received the farm operating loan. If I wanted to buy fertilizer or lime, he would have to, I would have to bring the, the, the bill in and he would have mm-hmm. to pay it then I can go pick it up. White farmers, uh, there was a white farmer that came in one day while I was sitting there. This is how the bad discrimination was. He would conduct business with the white farmer as though the black farmer was completely invisible, like you didn't mm. even exist. He reached on the desk and gave this white farmer a check for $157,000 farm operating loan. And I was pleading with him for $5,000 that he had already told me no. 
the white farmer, he called him Earl. He passed him a check, and the white farmer is on the way out the door. They, they say these pleasantries, and he says, hey, Earl, I need you to come back in here next week sometime and fill out them their papers because uh, I just used last year's numbers to, to get you the money this year. He hadn't even filled out an application, mm. and he got him a, a farm operating loan for $157,000. I couldn't get $5,000 that particular year. Uh, one year, I did get a farm operating loan, and he came back out to my farm. He says, well, uh, you got $2,500 left out of your farm operating loan. I said, well, apply to the loan, and I pay the difference. And uh, he chucks his gun, his pistol on the side of his shirt, chucks it, the shirt on the inside so I can see the, the angle of his, his pistol on, on the side. Mm-hmm. And he says, well, you're going to sign this check here uh, back to me. And uh, I'm gonna apply it to your account. And I said, uh, I said, I'm not signing. I'm not signing the damn thing to you. I said, I'm not signing the damn thing to you. And I said, if you don't get off my farm, I'm I'm going to tell you what you can do with your check. That was the type of intimidation and retaliation that they did against black farmers. So instead of the check being made out to the Farmers Home Administration and being applied back to my account, he wanted the check written out to him so he could cash it. And I probably would never receive any credit on my on my loans. This is what they've been doing to black farmers, cheating them. And we had two programs. I, I didn't even get to that. Lease back buyback, where blacks were forced to sign their deed of trust back to the government with hopes that they would lease it to you, or a 30-day from, uh, uh, acceleration notice that says your farm will be sold in 30 days if you could pay if you can't pay the balance in full. White farmers got debt relief. Mm. White farmers got debt relief when they got in trouble or got in trouble with Mother Nature. White farmers got loan reamortization, uh, debt right down. These are things that was provided to white farmers. Black farmers said we had to uh, sign our farm back into federal inventory with the hopes that the government would uh, lease it back to us, and they never did. And they stole millions of acres of land that way through that particular program. Mm, mm, mm. So when I hear this, and I, when people are hearing this, they're going to be, I mean, they're going to be shocked. This is this is some of the history that we are not used to hearing. Well, you know, I can't tell this on, on that, and that's why I wanted you to come on your show. You can't yeah. tell this on CNN in 30 seconds. No, no, you can't. Well, that's why we had to cool. tell it on MSNBC right. and Right, 30 seconds or ABC in two minutes uh, uh, when they chop and leave out all this very, very important history. Uh, the discrimination was blatant. Uh, discrimination, it was in your face. And for the record, the discrimination is now. Hmm. It's not in the past. We still are facing discrimination where you look at uh, a half trillion dollars that went to white farmers and the U.S. Farm Subsidy Program. In the state of Texas, where white farmers are suing us now, eight out of 10 loans were denied to, to black farmers. Actually, uh, so break, break, that, break that down. T- take a second there, John. Break that down, because I think people need to understand it right now. So right now, with the, the money from the COVID relief, which is not even really hearing this story, even this pairs into what has happened to the destruction of no. black farmers. But talk about even now how there have been these this is unfortunate. White farmers just coming out and are assuming black farmers. Break, break that down a little more. Yes. 
I think that to break it down is uh, they're filing these lawsuits to block monies to black farmers mm. and farmers of color. And I, I tell everyone that will listen to me, Reverend Yearwood, for me to sue you in court, I actually I have some sort of hate and, and, and I'm angry at you if I sued you in court. White farmers are saying, oh, oh uh, uh, they, it's reverse discrimination. That it's a new loan program that they can't participate in. They never tell the story that all the debt relief that was um, uh, told out over these decades have went to white farmers. They never tell the story that uh, primarily all the loans went to white farmers. They never tell the story that primarily all the subsidies went to white farmers. And we struggle to even statistically add up in any of those numbers where the top 10% of the U.S. farm subsidy program, $1 million per farmer in this country, $1 million for a farmer in the top 10% uh, receive uh, subsidies. That means it's not a loan, people. You don't pay it back. $1 million a year. Black mm. farmers receive on average $200. Mm. $200 in subsidies on average in this country. Uh, payments went to, to black farmers in this country. And here you have white farmers blocking us. Uh, and to me, it's a continuation of all the history I laid out for you. Slavery, sharecropping, Jim Crow, all these things are a continuation of me wanting everything, the white man, the white, white farmers in this country, we want it all and you can't have any. And that's that's the bottom line here for people who can't, who can't add this up. They're in court saying, we don't want them to get any of the money. Uh, that's what they've done by, by filing these uh, lawsuits in nine different uh, uh, states, uh, Texas, Arizona, uh, Wyoming, and uh, Tennessee, Florida, all of these states that are filing in favor uh, or issuing uh, uh, rulings in favor of white farmers uh, never take into effect the discrimination that we still takes place today, as I speak to you, and the historical uh, impact of, uh, of black farmers and land loss in this country. And for the record, it's black farmers and farmers of color. Farmers mm -hmm. of color are Native Americans who, let me give you some history there, where white stole all the land from them in the first place. Hispanics who are here doing the work now and Asian and Pacific Islanders. Those are the targeted groups that would benefit from uh, the debt relief in this country. Uh, then there's $1 billion uh, that's supposed to, of that five, that's supposed to be used to end discrimination, set up uh, a commission and other things at USDA. And I would like to add on top of there, I spoke to anybody who would listen as far as network-wise that uh, Secretary Vilsack moved too slow. If he had moved the way that they issued subsidies to white farmers in this country, which are within a week's time of, of it passing Congress, uh, I wouldn't be sitting here telling you we tied up in court. Hmm. So months after it was a law, it's no longer a bill, people, law, uh, he still didn't move swiftly enough to get the debt relief to farmers of color, as I urged him to do. That's the first mis mistake by uh, Secretary Bill Sack. And I would, like give, I would like to give thumbs up to the president because uh, he heard us and and moved in Congress, but we have a Secretary of Agriculture 
that uh, doesn't have a whole lot of favorable history with, with blacks under the Obama years. Uh, mm-hmm. So he, he served two years there, and uh, he said he wanted to listen and learn to see what, what was going to happen there. Why do you need to listen and learn when I already told you about this for eight years? I told you about the discrimination. I told you about all the things that black farmers have endured. And he's talking about having some listening sessions. That's the first thing. So it took too long to get the payments out. And the second thing was he sent letters to white farmers mm. instead of just sending the farmers of color where they had uh, they had already put out there that it was uh, uh, 14,000 or 16, whatever that number was, that would be eligible to participate in the debt relief program. So why did you need to send them to white farmers? Uh, to me, it was almost like you send in a letter to irritate them and uh, for them to file a loss. I don't know why he did it, but I told him, I can't tell him anything. I advised him not to send the letters to white farmers, and I urged him to get the uh, uh, relief out to uh, black and farmers of color expeditiously, and, and, and neither one happened. So let's talk about that. So it, it, it definitely seems to me, well, what has been done to outreach to those who have, you know, lost their farms to the USDA practices, you know, specifically in the Deep South? You know, how have you been able to connect to them about what's going on in this process? I mean, I guess because... Couple of things that I would like to talk about. One is uh, the outreach that we're doing from an organizational standpoint that we do every day uh, to every black farmer that calls here. Um, we don't turn down any, anybody uh, that needs assistance. We try to give them the aid and assistance that we need through the National Black Farmers Association. We are not supported uh, by the outreach uh, program at, at USDA that I helped author. I actually helped write the bill many, many decades ago for uh, outreach, and at that time it was for black farmers, and, and now it's, uh, they put everybody in there together where uh, 1890s and 1860 schools have to compete for a real small budget. And uh, they, they really, uh, you're not helping anybody that way. So we're not mm-hmm. getting the outreach uh, monies from USDA, and you would think that they would put some real resources into outreach so that we could help uh, a black farmer stay on the farm Something else I'm urging the secretary to do uh, that, that we haven't made a lot of progress on. That part is missing. So right now, as I speak to you, we're really struggling as an organization to meet all of the deadlines in these nine different lawsuits uh, that I've been talking to you about. So thank God right now we haven't missed any, but we need the support of Black America and like-minded inf- uh, individuals who believe that uh, black farmers need to be a part of the American farming fabric moving forward in this country, we need their support now. And the only way to do that is for them to write book. What uh, my data said, we need a happy check here. We need a happy check. We need monies to, to fight this battle. It's not cheap. And it's, we're at the point where uh, it's not where uh, when you get ready to do it, uh, like it used to be. Uh, we're at a point to where we have to act now because uh, uh, and what I'm trying to create through through the eyes and ears of you is there's a sense of urgency that we have to act and for Black America to wake up, get behind this issue, get educated on it, and get up to speed. Uh, and 
for people who said that there aren't any black issues. Here's one. Here's one where white farmers are suing blacks in court saying, we don't want you to get a damn down. How much clearer does it get for you uh, other than that? We don't want you to have the land. We don't want you to, to produce the food because we want to produce it all. That's their message to us. And we have to stand up and say, no, we're going to fight back. We want to hold on to our land. And for lastly, we're going to get that money from the from, from for debt relief. And I don't care if it's 10 black farmers to get it or, or some, hmm. five Native Americans. If it's there for us, I'm going to fight for us to get it uh, either through Congress, through the Supreme, somebody. But we got we got to get the money. And that's what they do to us, Reverend Year. They try to wait us out. They try to wait us out. If they cut the money off, they can't they can't survive. So that's the part there. So I want I wanted to I, I want to touch on that a little bit, the litigation, because what this sounds like, and we're seeing this not only in this situation, which is horrific, what's happening to which 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 has happened to the black farmers. I can't imagine the pain you're hearing right now from my brother yes. John Boyd. And I and I know in obviously he's such a articulate brother. So he's he's bringing it out, but I know that he he's 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 also if you hear hear him you can hear the pain that he's just putting forth for not for him but for all the black farmers for years and this this the discouragement the pain that I know has gone along here and I and the thing for me about this um, is around this litigation do you think this is in I mean I've known this now to be almost like a a delay you mentioned it kind of a delay tactic is this kind of almost in that vein that we're going to almost because it seems like they're 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 trying to delay to destroy so yeah. that in essence we're going we, we're going to have we know that we're going to have you so tied up in this litigation that by the time you actually do get something won't be nothing left for you to get or, or won't be anybody there left around to get it right is, is that so how you I feel we have farmers right now that were eligible to receive the money, that received the letters, that are in foreclosure right mm. now with that BT. And they're calling us and they're saying, well, look, are they still going to sell my farm at such and such date? Uh, I'm eligible for, for this debt relief. They gave me the amounts uh, that are going to pay the USD off. They gave the amounts that are going to pay the taxes off. Am I actually going to get this? So we have a level of education that we have to do through our own members around the country based on these court rulings. And then we have the USDA who hasn't sent out a clear directive, the Department of Justice that hasn't sent out a clear directive on what I'm supposed to tell these farmers. Are we mm -hmm. going to continue to lose more land while, while we're waiting on these courts to, to make all these decisions? Or this is something that the administration can do right now is to make sure that those farmers who are in foreclosure, that their farms are not sold while we're tied up in this litigation, that I think Secretary Vilsack is partly thoughtful for not moving swiftly and quickly enough to get those, get that relief out to the farmers in the first place. So it's a 50-50 it's sword. One, I commend Biden for taking up the issue uh, from a presidency standpoint, included, including it in a COVID relief bill, and then on the other side of the coin, I don't think Secretary Vilsack was the right man at this particular time in history to mm. take us uh, uh, a course forward for, for black farmers. I believe he was the wrong pick. And based on what I've seen thus far, him knowing the history, knowing 
uh, white farmers. He's from Iowa. He knows how these white farmers think. And by him not getting those payments out to us when he could have done it months ago, uh, I, I kind of lay some of the some of the bad uh, hatchet there in, in his lap too. In his lap. Well, we gonna keep it real. I mean, that's real talk, and we we want to make sure that we need to fix that. And if and if hopefully we need the to fix that. And uh, you know, I went out here real early on, Reverend Yearwood, for uh, now President Biden, and there were a lot of other candidates out there, and some people in my immediate circle didn't want me to get behind uh, Biden, but I did it uh, not because he was the most charismatic uh, candidate out the bunch or anything. I wanted to get rid of Trump. And I saw him as a tool that could, could defeat uh, Trump uh, uh, based on his experience and all these things. So uh, we got behind him early and uh, he said in that meeting in February, uh, uh, in South Carolina, that we would get changed at USDA, and I was hoping for um, Marsha Fudge or any some some other uh, new face there that could have gave us a breath uh, of hope in, mm-hmm. at, at USDA. But we didn't get that. We got Secretary Vilsack, and I'm going to have to work with him and make the best of it. He's there, uh, but I just wanted to lay all that on you that uh, he wasn't our pick, and I, and I advised the president that I didn't think he was the right man for this time in history. I did tell him. And he said uh, he wanted to go with Bill Sack for for his experience, is what he told me. Well, I'm going to say this to you, John. You know, and, and and this is just what you have already described here has been a beyond a grave injustice to black farmers and to black people yeah. because you're also connected to how we eat our food and all all of that is connected to our survival. So let me just say this: I don't care who was president. I mean, you know, I'm not. I'm not. No, I'm, I mean, you know, keeping it 100. I don't care who's president. This this has been a miscarriage of justice beyond okay. anything. And so it doesn't matter if you are a Republican or a Democrat or if you just coming down the street. I don't care what you are. This is about the fact of the matter that literally people have lost their livelihoods. They have lost their lives. They have lost everything because of games and, to be honest, white supremacy and many other issues that people had just laid to foot of folk just trying to do hard work, um, you know, and just do things. And so this has been a crime. This, this, this ain't just been this a uh, uh, issue of delayed policy. This is this issue of, of a crime that has taken place. And so I, I wanted to say that to you because I think that's important for folk to understand the dynamic here, that this is something that we now, I mean, just the fact that we've, this, this the matter, you don't go from a million plus to 50,000 holding on and farms in foreclosure. This is a bad situation. But I want to say this too. But it sounds like this debt relief is for current farmers. And so are there fights for reparations for farmers who have been put entirely out of business yes, and lost is. their land and generations of their families that have been impacted? Yes, and I was trying to get to that. And every time I tried to get there, revenue, but some, <laughs> some, some, something else in history jumped out there in my mouth. Uh, the debt relief uh, measure that you saw pass in Congress, uh, the $5 billion, was just a part of uh, uh, the Black Farmers for Justice Act that was sponsored by uh, Senator Cory Booker. A much larger bill uh, that gave land and, and stuff uh, back to Blacks and a whole, uh, a whole bill that I think would have really pointed us in the right direction. Hmm. We took debt relief out of that measure because we thought that that 
would pass, something we could get past, and that wouldn't get a whole lot of pushback. Uh, and what I'm trying when going with that is, so that addressed everything in, in your question. So yes, uh, that that bill would have uh, uh, gave some initiative to new and beginning farmers and people to participate and get land and all of these things that the Booker Bill supported 110 percent. We took that little piece of it, just debt relief, something I worked on for three decades, thought we wouldn't get any pushback. And anytime you even use the word black and relief and help in the same sentence, all hell breaks out. Mm. So we had banks come out against us who said uh, they would be harmed if black farmers and farmers of color get debt relief. And then we have uh, all of these white farmers who are saying by us getting the relief, we are harming them. Uh, so I just wanted to lay that piece out there. So, uh, so it's a part of me that uh, I wish we had just uh, pushed for the whole bill and got it all at one time since uh, they saw me anyway uh, and, and uh, got the whole measure done. Uh, but mm. sometimes, uh, uh, you know how it goes. You've been helping me on these issues. Yeah. Right here with lawsuits, and you know, um, uh, the, the, the original bill that I drafted wasn't the original bill that passed. Uh, and once it gets on Congress, it, people, it gets chopped up and bit up. And what comes out the end, sometimes you, you got to swallow it and move on. And that's what this was. It was a, a, mm-hmm. what I call the partial victory. But $5 billion in aid to farmers of color could help. And it could mm-hmm. help us right now. And I just and I described some of them farmers that, that needed the, the help. Uh, but yes. No, no. I got you this question. I just got <laughs> If you get up at 5 in the morning, go out there to the farm. Uh, going, going, going back in at eight. Uh, find a little bit of time to talk to me here once, once in a while. We can have this conversation. But I just want to know how can black farmers, how y'all have a time to do this politics yeah. while doing the doing the back breaking work of farming? When do you find the time to try to shape policy? I mean, how does that even work? Well, my time is spent fifty fifty. Uh, so I devote half of my time to the MBFA and other causes that uh, that I think I can make a difference in. And uh, Reverend, you would probably like you, I, I get all these calls on a whole bunch of issues. Mm. And I choose the issues that one, my heart would be in it. And two, that I feel that I, I could make an impact and, and help. And if I don't think I can do either one of that, then uh, I probably wouldn't get involved. And, and not to, to say that I don't support all of those issues because I do. But you have to uh, focus in, and this is an advocate to many of the advocates that will follow you and listen to you. You can't do them all. You have to pick the ones that, uh, one, like I said, your heart is in it, 110%. That's right. That's right. And two, that uh, based on your leadership style and, and whatever else comes with you, that you can make a difference in. Uh, you know, so Rome wasn't built in a day and, and uh, it, it, it took me 38 years to win a couple lawsuits here and and get debt released. So every 10 years we get a victory. Now, I don't know how many more 10 years I got left, but I'm saying I'm saying that uh, if any advocate is out there, don't get into advocacy thinking you're going to get the win tomorrow or even next year and everything will be over. Uh, advocacy and and justice work and, and civil rights work. Is a lifelong commitment uh, from you as the advocate, and and you take the ups and ups, ups ups and downs and the bitter and sweet, and and you just try to make the best of it. 
Well, listen, I can't believe how fast this time here went. I just got a couple more questions for you, and I want to get to obviously supporting your work and kind of looking to the future. What, what are the priorities of the National Black Farmers Association right now? Well, uh, first of all, we would like people to come to our, uh, visit our website at uh, blackfarmers.org and uh, get involved, become a member, contribute. So all of the historical uh, information uh, from all of the lawsuits and all of our advocacies and studies can be found there if you're interested in doing some research on the MBFA. And then we have a, a, pro, a programmatic uh, website called uh, the National Black Farmers Association.org website uh, that talks about these, the scholarships and some of the other uh, program stuff that we're doing around the country. Uh, so we need people to get involved and uh, get educated and, and don't don't wait to hear about it on the news. Go out and read it for yourself. Get ed- get educated. Get involved. Call your member of Congress. Call your elected officials, and tell them that uh, you know what can they do uh, about this atrocity, about these people suing us right now in federal court. What can they do to help us? Is there is there like any kind of on the website like a petition? Is there numbers that we should call like specific you know members of Congress? Is well, the there number, any idea? Yes. Let me give you the number for the website. Is uh, I'm sorry for the National Black Farmers Association. The official number is eight zero four six nine one eight five two eight eight zero four six nine one eight five two eight. And uh, my email address is my first initial J Boyd B O Y D at John Boyd Junior dot com. And again, uh, you know. For the people who don't know your history, Reverend, you, you, you've been out here a very, very long time. And uh, uh, oftentimes we don't lift up the people that are out here helping us and supporting us. And I know I haven't had time to say it to you, but guess what? Thank you for your support. Uh, you were one of the few civil rights leaders back in the day who picked up the phone and said, hey, boy, how can I help you? How can I help you get your, your notices out uh, about Congress? And, and when we got stalled on the on his second uh, debt relief, uh, I'm sorry, the second uh, late filed his uh, lawsuit that helped uh, 83,000 farmers get their cases heard based on merit. You were one of the few civil rights leaders uh, that supported me in Congress. So I want to say thank you. Uh, thank you for that. And I'm, I'm still supporting you. I'm still riding.